Welcome to Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. Your host is Michelle Beck. Our show is here to help breast cancer patients, survivors, thrivers, their friends, and family by providing resources, support, and inspiration they can use right now. Here is your host, Michelle Beck. Hello and welcome to Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. My name is Michelle Beck. I'm a two-time nine-year survivor of breast cancer. I'm the patient programs assistant at Breast Friends of Oregon. And when I have time, you can find me on my blog or on social media at I Never Liked Pink. So today I'm super excited to have a repeat guest here today. Her name is Kathy Lehman. And we just keep having her back because she has so much good information. So Kathy is a she helps hormone positive breast cancer survivors eat with peace, not panic. I love that because what we put into our bodies is really challenging after a cancer diagnosis. So Kathy knows all this because she's a registered dietitian, certified personal trainer, and a nutrition therapist. And all of these are so important and they really go together to lead an important, to lead an unhealthy life, which is very important moving around my words there. Um, and it's even more so after a cancer, cancer diagnosis, Kathy is the creator of the peaceful plate program, which I do want to hear more about. And she writes at the damn mad about cancer blog, which you can find at the damn mad about cancer.com forward slash blog. So let's get started today. Kathy, I know we're going to talk about alcohol and breast cancer today, the facts, the fiction, because summer is coming. And that really is a time when alcohol intake tends to go up because we're outside, we're on vacation, we're at parties, we're hanging out. So that we thought this was be a really good time to discuss what really is important to know about alcohol consumption after you've had a breast cancer diagnosis. So Kathy, thank you for being here today. Thank you so much for having me, Michelle. It's fun to be back with you as always. We're going to have a great conversation, I'm sure. So I'm looking forward to it. Yes. Now I gave a brief synopsis of what you do, but can you expand on that a little bit more for our listeners? I'd love to. Thank you. Um, so yeah, I am a dietitian, a personal trainer, and a nutrition therapist, but I think the most important thing that I forgot to include in my intro for you is that I'm also a survivor of hormone-driven breast cancer, and my diagnosis was in 2014. I finished treatment in February of 2015, so I'm about seven and a half years out from that, and um, the, I, at the time of my diagnosis, I was working in my private practice and my private personal training studio, and after that experience, I felt like I really wanted to give back to the breast cancer community. I felt pulled and called to do that, but I wasn't sure what that would look like. And over the last few years, I've really sort of started to figure it out. I started blogging at my damn mad about breast cancer blog, as you mentioned. And over the last few years, I've really noticed where there's um, a need in the breast cancer community. So that's where I've focused my work. Well, definitely you, you've shifted your focus into really helping the patients who have gone through this because the hormone driven breast cancer is the most common kind of breast cancer that women go through. And even though it is the most common, we need direction, we need guidance. And for so many of us, myself included, we're kind of lost about what we should be doing afterwards. And listeners, you can also find Kathy on Instagram at hormone breast cancer dietitian. So, and she always gives little videos with tips and tools and, and I love them because they're just, they really reinforce that even if you think you're like, oh gosh, I made a wrong choice in what I'm eating. It's okay. Tomorrow is another day. There's moderation and you just, you do the best you can 
and I think that what comes with the peace, um, the eating with peace, not panic. So, because if you panic, your body goes, gets stressed and then it just causes more problems. So, yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Yeah. I, you know, I, um, there's so much conflicting information out there. And to your point, I do work primarily with hormone driven breast cancer survivors after they've finished treatment. But I also like to say that I don't exclude any, any breast cancer survivor in my work. My work is beneficial and helpful for anyone who's been through breast cancer because we write about nutrition and self-care and, and fitness, you know, from a broad perspective, but the work that I do in my peaceful plate program is really targeted to those of us who've survived hormone driven, because there is, I find, as you said, that's the most common kind of breast cancer. And because of some of the nuances of our subtype of breast cancer, there is a lot of panic and stress and anxiety around food and you know how you finish treatment and you say, okay, now I'm done. Now I want that never to happen again hopefully. So what are the things I can do to potentially minimize that from happening? And diet is really the first low hanging fruit, no pun intended, that women (laughs) tend to easily gravitate toward. They say, you know what? I can address my diet and my nutrition. But that's where the panic sets in because they start doing a little research on their own or they ask their oncologist and may not get an answer that they're comfortable with or the oncologist may not really have something, you know. Well, because that's not their forte. Right. They're not trained in nutrition. They're trained to manage your medication and your treatment, but nutrition is not where they have their training. So, you know, you end, so women then end up being more confused because they said, I get all this conflicting advice. And then what I find is women start to go down the path of gathering advice from well-intentioned, but clearly erroneous sources. And I always remind people, I mean, I'm a dietitian, so my degree is in, in nutrition and we learn the evidence science backed information about nutrition. It's a, it's a science, it's not an opinion. And so my work is really to help women get that information they need so they can eat with peace and not panic and address their diet in a way that they feel good about. Well, that's so important. And that's what we're going to talk about today too, is alcohol, because that is something that also goes into our bodies after breast cancer that we do have control over, but there's so much conflicting and confusing evidence out there. Like, do I need to quit cold Turkey? Did drinking alcohol cause my cancer? You know, if I drink now afterwards, will it make my cancer come back? Like what the hell? Like I, I, you know, I don't know. And, you know, for me, like I, you know, I used to drink a lot more, but honestly, and it's obviously I'm 50 now, I don't need to go out and, you know, tie one on, but I like a nice glass of wine or a cocktail every now and then. And it just, sometimes I do feel guilty. Like, am I harming my body just by having something that I really enjoy? So what, where do we go to find the right information other than you, of course, but let, yeah. let's talk about, all, let's talk about all of that. <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm not the, I'm just, I always say, I don't do the research. I just, I'm the vehicle through which it comes through so that I share the information and the guidelines. And then I help women take that information guidelines and apply it to their life in a way that helps them live their life the way they want to do that. So to your point, alcohol is one of the most panic inducing compounds we can put in our body during and after breast cancer. And it's very confusing. And so this is where I find women get information that is not accurate and they Mm -hmm. start to glom onto that information and get panicked. So what I use 
you know, for science-based recommendations, I use a number of resources. So I go to uh, the World Cancer Research Fund. I use the American Cancer Society. I use the National Cancer Institute and I use the American Institute for Cancer Research. And the reason why I speak to those organizations is because, you know, it's interesting to look at individual studies, but that is not conclusive information. It's interesting, but it doesn't give us the whole story. Mm -hmm. And I find that when women who are not, um, you know, someone who doesn't have a background in nutrition or someone who's been diagnosed and is like, well, what do I do about alcohol? Let me start researching now that Google is so readily available to get, tell us everything. Yeah. Go Google is a good thing and a bad thing. <laughs> a thousand percent. Yeah. So they start looking at individual studies and you can find a study to support any thought that you have about anything. So I like to go first off to the, the organizations that have, that collect and review the information to help them create guidelines for those of us who have been diagnosed or interested in prevention as well. That's where I start. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And let's, let's clarify too, before we really get into the science, because we spoke before about this and it really is, there is science based on all the information we're going to discuss today. So what, when we're discussing alcohol, what does that include? Yeah. So it's all alcohol, beer, wine, spirits, liquor, all alcohol contains something called ethanol. Which and, when I think of that, I'm like, uh, that sounds like something I should be putting in my gas tank. That's your car, right? That's what you <laughs> mm -hmm. think. Yeah, I know. Same thing. <laughs> but ethanol is the cancer causing compound. And unless you are drinking a non-alcoholic beverage and even non-alcohol beverages sometimes will have a tiny percentage, a little bit of alcohol in them. Is it enough to have an impact negatively? Probably not. But unless you're drinking something that's completely void of alcohol, you are drinking, you're ingesting ethanol. And so the extent to which um, alcohol is the cause of various cancers depends on the amount and frequency obviously, you know, because then that determine that impacts how much you're having and how often, but ethanol is the cancer causing compound in any type of alcohol. Now is the ethanol, what gives us the, the relaxation or the, the buzz, I guess, for lack of a better term. Oh, that's a good question. I don't know the answer to that. Okay. Um, I, well, and we can talk more about the impact of the ethanol, but um, I don't know that. That's a really great question. I've never thought about that. I just think of it collectively. You know, mm -hmm. it's maybe the fermentation and because um, sure. I don't know if ethanol would be the compound as I think about it that would mm -hmm. cause that loopy, comfortable, hangover, drunk. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know that it's the <laughs> ethanol, but it kind of stands to reason too. If you drink something that is, does not have alcohol in it, you know, non-alcoholic beverage, like a non-alcoholic beer, mm -hmm. there's the ethanol level is lower. So yeah, I don't know. That's a great question. Interesting. I'll have to do some research on my own on those websites that you mentioned. Let me know. <laughs> I don't know if they answer that. You might have to do a little more digging. Than I that. can do that. Now there, one of the things that I've heard that is conflicting, that is a glass of red wine is good for your heart health, but if it's good for your heart health, but potentially has ethanol, well, it does have ethanol in it to cause cancer. How do we work around that dichotomy and how that fits into our lives as breast cancer survivors? Yeah. Great question. I hear that so often. Well, wine is supposed to be good for you. And so that recommendation came about a number of years ago. 
a couple decades ago, if you might remember the term French paradox, where some of the research was looking at people who live in France and other regions of the Mediterranean, how they um, enjoy a really high quality level of health. And they happen to, by the way, drink red wine. So they were looking at, is the wine an impact? And so what we've learned in since then is that this overall good health is likely due to less stress, a healthy lifestyle overall, higher quality food, more produce and vegetables, you know, fruits and vegetables, a healthier diet overall. And by the way, there may be some wine consumption. So it collectively could be associated with that. The other thing that uh, most people see is the recommendation is connected to heart health, as you mentioned. And with the benefit of red wine, it appears to be associated with an antioxidant polyphenol called resveratrol. I'm sure you're familiar with the term resveratrol. Mm -hmm. um, but what the research looks at to answer is, does that offer health benefits, resveratrol? It may, but the studies are mixed. And so it's never recommended to start drinking <laughs> alcohol as a way to improve heart health. I would say go for a walk first, <laughs> you know, sure. to get your increased heart, you know, your strength of your heart muscle. But resveratrol is found in all sorts of foods. I was going to ask that. Can you get it anywhere else? Yes. Mm -hmm. Cranberries, blueberries, even cocoa has resveratrol. So using wine as the excuse to get your resveratrol, no. There are other ways to get it, but it is a beneficial compound, but the vehicle doesn't have to be wine. Sure. And I think what, taking a step back and when you were talking about the studies and how in, in a lot of parts of Europe and France, and especially the, the Greek areas too, the, it's the, the diet that is making so much of a difference. The Mediterranean diet is one of the most um, that, that people talk about being healthy because it has, you know, a lot of shellfish and not a lot of grains and it's just good for you overall. So, you know, it may not be the wine, but it's the combination of those things together. I would say it's diet and lifestyle. Mm -hmm. It's the whole collective life diet is part of your lifestyle. Right. And so the diet is actually in the Mediterranean countries and France, grains are a very significant part of their diet. It's really more about high quality, less processed. How food. it's processed. Yes, yes. got it. It's mm -hmm. their, they'll go to, you know, dinner will be fish or, you know, seafood or a small amount of meat and tons of vegetables and rice and beans and, you know, those sorts of like real foods rather than a drive through with a mm -hmm. number two supersized. There, yeah, I mean, if you look just at the diet, there's a big distinction right there, but also lifestyle. Do they walk more because they're less dependent on car travel? Mm -hmm. um, you know, are, is there more social support because maybe, you know, there's a town square where they get it. So it's the whole lifestyle is what contributes for sure. Yeah, completely makes sense. So, yeah. and if you can't start, you know, and we're not saying that you have to change your lifestyle right away, right now, change all of these things. But if you can start working on one thing at a time, take it in small bits, you know, whether it's working on your diet first or working on your, your moving your body or cutting down the alcohol, you can work on all of these things in small chunks to get to where you want to be. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So if someone asks you, if I drink alcohol, will it, does, does that cause cancer? How would you answer that? Well, I would answer it based on what the research shows. And what the research tells us is that alcohol raises the risk of a number of types of cancer. And that includes head and neck cancer, stomach, liver, esophageal cancer. But interestingly, it seems to decrease the risk of kidney cancer. 
So we can't say across the board that alcohol at this time, remember research is always ongoing, but at this time we don't know that it addressed increases risk for all, but there's still a lot we don't know in this area and studies are ongoing. And so there are several ways that it increases risk and those mechanisms aren't fully understand, but we understood, but we do know that alcohol is known to damage DNA. And when DNA damage at the cellular level, that can contribute to the cancer risk. That totally makes sense. So, you know, just we'll, we'll dig more into the science of it soon, but just the knowing in your head that, okay, studies show that this can cause cancer in various parts of our bodies, not just the liver, which is intuitive because the liver is where it metabolizes. Helps. Thank you. That right word. Um, and that's, you know, we think of alcohol causing liver disease and, and things like that, but yes, also cancer, but like the fact that, you know, the, like you mentioned the esophageal and all, all the other parts, um, it just, it really just shows, um, you know, either best to not do it at all or to really do it in moderation. <laughs> well, yeah. And one other point I, I wanted to make quickly before we go to break is, mm-hmm. you know, for regarding breast cancer risk, the World Cancer Research Fund finds a strong link between alcohol consumption and pre and postmenopausal breast cancer initial diagnosis. Mm-hmm. But regarding recurrence, Mm-hmm. New survivorship guidelines from the American Cancer Society say that the evidence is inconsistent regarding recurrence, but there may be possible associations by estrogen receptor status and menopausal status, and that warrants further investigation. So we also have to look at recommendations. Are they for preventing or reducing risk of an initial breast cancer diagnosis or those of us who are in survivorship? We tend to look at recurrence but I think women forget about a new primary secondary cancer. So we've got to look at the big picture. Oh, definitely. And the risk of recurrence is something that is a fear on everyone's mind every day. It might not be at the forefront, but for me, it's, I'm, you know, I'm almost six years out from my last round of treatment and it's still in my head. So, yeah. you yeah. know, trying to do things to, to stop that possible risk is at the forefront of my mind, along with balancing the quality of life. And yes. Not that I, not that I have to have a drink to have a good quality of life, but sometimes it's nice. So it's good to have all the information to be fully informed so we can make the right decisions for ourselves. Yeah, for sure. Well, and recurrence risk or concern is the one panic driver with alcohol. I mean, that I've done an informal poll and people are telling me my, my concern about alcohol is, will it cause a recurrence? And so I like to share the message that you know, let's talk about that, but let's also talk about your overall health and survivorship and how it can impact risk for other cancers. We're more susceptible now that we're survivors to other cancers. We're more susceptible. Thank you for that. It's such good information. We are, we're going to dig into the science a little bit more when we get back. So listeners, we are going to take a quick break. Please stay with us. If you would like to see what breast friends can do for you, please go to our website under patient programs and check out what we have going on. If you would like to make a donation to help breast friends continue on its mission to ensure that women do not go through cancer alone, you can donate on our website or by texting BF radio to 41444. Stay with us. We'll be back in a minute. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to continue our mission that no woman goes through cancer alone and to keep the show going. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can text BF Radio to 41444. 
or visit us at breastfriends.org to donate. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon or follow us on Instagram at Breast Friends PDX. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern Time for Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are tuned in to Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. To reach the program today, please call us at 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Michelle Beck at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show. Thanks for staying with us. I'm Michelle Beck. My guest is Kathy Lehman registered dietitian, nutrition, health coach, so many more. I would also throw in their lifestyle advocate um, and a hormone positive breast cancer survivor. So we've been talking about alcohol and, and cancer and the should we, should we not, all the things. But I want to know um, a little bit more of the science stuff because you know I've heard the general, but you had mentioned something earlier or when we were talking previously about tumor markers. Now, how, how does alcohol affect or come into play with your tumor markers? Yes. So I, I found that question really interesting. I actually saw it floating around online in a couple of sites that I belong to, private sites for breast cancer survivors. I'd never thought about that. And so that's you know where I learned what women are concerned about is by just kind of keeping a, my finger on the pulse of what women want to know. And so I did a little research and what I found is that there's indication that alcohol has been associated with enhanced angiogenesis. Now, for your listeners who don't know what that is or have not heard that term. Including myself. Oh, great. Okay, <laughs> perfect. So angiogenesis is the development of new blood vessels. And cancer tumors can grow their own blood vessels so that they create their own blood vessel supply. And that, which sounds terrifying, and it is kind of terrifying, but um, what that does is then that can promote, promote tumor growth. And it, because they're getting more blood supply, they're saying, oh, this is kind of like a lifeline. I'm throwing, building myself a lifeline to be able to grow and thrive. So there's some research I saw that shows that alcohol enhances that angiogenesis. It means it's putting fuel on the fire, allowing your body, you know, the cells to create these new blood cells. But, um, or blood vessels, excuse me, not blood cells. But I've not seen research indicating that that relates directly as a cause of an increase in tumor markers. Now, there may be research out there that I haven't seen. I mean, there may be something that says, yes, we're seeing this. I, from what I was looking, and I was digging pretty deep, but what I was seeing is that they're investigating. I mean, they're looking at that. You know, how does alcohol is very the way alcohol or even any food acts in our body is very tricky to follow the whole development of, you know, you ingest it, you metabolize it, then what happens? Because it can be a little bit different in each one of us. 
but I find it an interesting question. So I just wanted to bring that up that that's, that's what I found in terms of what's available right now. Now, is there a way to test that? Like, is it, it, can you test through a blood test or, or something like that to know if it's increasing or causing changes in your tumor markers? I know that people do have their tumor markers tested. I've mm-hmm. never had it done, but um, I haven't either. People, I've, I've never yeah, had my blood tested. To, oh yeah. They, some women have said that they're on, have told me that their oncologist checks their tumor markers. Mm-hmm. just to make sure they're low, you know, after treatment, because I look at it this way, we're out of treatment. So ideally is no evidence of disease status. We should have no tumors. Right? right. And so apparently the tumor marker, you know, indicators can say if there's been any change in status, I've not had it done, but I'm intrigued by it. And I may ask my oncologist about it, but, um, so they can, yes, they can measure tumor mm-hmm. le- marker levels, but I don't, they can't measure is there more angiogenesis occurring that I'm aware of? I don't, I don't know that there's yeah. a test. I'm that. actually going in next Tuesday. So I'm going to add that to my list because yes. I have many friends who are like, yeah, I had my blood done. And I'm like, well, they don't ever do that for me. So I'm wondering if it's by type of, of breast cancer, like, you know, um, hormone driven or triple negative or something like that, or if it's stage of diagnosis or that's, that's an interesting question. So something, another thing I need to research. Yeah. I'm starting to think it's by oncologists, you know, that could be like, too. what's your, what's your healthcare provider's preference or just what part of their routine screening. I don't, cause they'll do blood draws and they'll look at liver enzymes and cholesterol and blood sugar and all of yeah. that. But I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. They, they do find out. <laughs> they do mine for the vitamin D all the time. That's what they're and testing every six right. months because right. in the Pacific Northwest, we don't get enough sun. So we definitely need vitamin D for, for overall body and bone health and so many things. And that yeah. is definitely a preventative, um, thing to do for breast cancer, which, which is good. Um, and one thing you just mentioned, which brought up a question about, um, the amount of sugar and alcohol, because there's the, you know, the, I don't know if the conception that alcohol is all sugar and that sugar feeds cancers. Do you, can you respond to that in any way? Ooh, that's all we'll have to do another show. Okay. Perfect. (laughs) No, but I mean, there is, you know, any, any food or drink that has the short answer is that has carbohydrate in it. Mm-hmm. Um, the carbohydrate is metabolized to glucose, which is blood sugar, and it does impact your blood sugar, but sugar feeds all cells in your body, healthy cells, as well as cancer cells. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. What, yeah. So the, the short answer is yes. And it, you know, it, the more alcohol is putting more carbohydrates, which turned into more sugar, which is feeding any kind of cells. Okay. Got it. Feeding all this, all your cells use the carbohydrate for energy. All okay. of them do. And your body can produce carbohydrate on its own, by the way, glucose. So it doesn't, you know, staying away from alcohol, the same keeping my sugar low is that doesn't, isn't but there are be- much better forms of energy to put into our body. <laughs> right, right, right. Now I wanted to talk about something else that we had discussed previously that I wasn't familiar with. So a connection between alcohol and something called fatty liver. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, for sure. So non-alcoholic fatty liver disease is pretty common. I've had clients in the past before I started working in the cancer world who um, came to see me at my nutrition practice at my personal training studio with this diagnosis from their doc. And it's a term for a range of conditions affecting people who drink little or no alcohol. But when people hear this term, particularly in response to their own diagnosis, they're like, wait a second, I don't even drink. Well, it's linked to overweight and obesity insulin resistance, high blood sugar, 
high levels of fat in the blood, like triglycerides, high triglyceride levels and levels. And these health issues appear to promote the deposit of fat in the liver. And so that's where the term fatty liver comes from. And that's what the diagnosis is typically indicative of. So that's addressed not with changing alcohol intake, particularly if you don't drink, it's changed with lifestyle behaviors. Can fatty liver disease be um, re- not, or, yes, thank yes. you, that's the word. <laughs> yes, it can, yes. And I, and I brought that into our discussion because I've seen again on some of these private websites or you know, groups that I'm in, some women have said, oh, I was diagnosed with fatty liver disease, I don't drink. Could it be um, a side effect of treatment medications or potentially, um, but it's, you know, also lifestyle is definitely can reverse fatty liver disease. So yeah, absolutely. It can be reversed. What does fatty liver disease do to your body? Well, it increases um, like cholesterol can be off. It also um, like metabolically high blood sugar, high triglycerides, insulin resistance. Those are areas that are shifts in your metabolic makeup that potentially contribute to cancer recurrence. So it's about getting more active, paying more attention to your diet, you know, looking at weight loss, if in fact that's a, a piece of this. So optimally, optimal metabolic health is balanced blood lipids, balanced blood sugar. And so once this starts to be reversed, typically that show is an indicative indication of all the markers coming down. Got it. Okay. That makes sense. So I tried to do some research before this because wanted to be able to ask pertinent questions. Now there's various recommendations out there from the medical community of how much is really okay if you do want to have alcohol um so is it be like i can't drink alcohol at all i can have it three days a week like what what based on your looking at all the research what is the best recommendation for if you're going to drink how much you should drink yes that's a great question because women ask that all the time so the guidelines for general the general population let's say you know people without cancer is one drink or less per day for women mm-hmm. and two drinks or less per day for men. One standard drink, which is what this recommendation is, is equivalent to five ounces of wine or eight ounces of beer. And so for cancer prevention, overall prevention, mm-hmm. those of us who we don't fall in that, but prevention is recommendation is that it's best not to drink at all because there's no minimum amount of alcohol that has been deemed quote unquote, safe, safe. Okay. Mm-hmm. For cancer recurrence prevention, even though studies aren't clear, if alcohol causes recurrence, we do know that alcohol consumption increases risk for a secondary cancer and for other chronic diseases like liver disease and obesity. So having said all that, we can pick this up later because i know you have another question about that at the end or we can kind of wrap it up right now oh go go ahead go ahead and continue (laughs) well it so this is where you've got to make your own judgment okay Mm -hmm. so even though the final word on does alcohol cause recurrence of breast cancer is still out knowing that 
it could be different information for those of us with hormone driven. It could be different for women who are postmenopausal. Knowing they're looking at those, teasing out those little individual nuances, and we don't have a final on that. You know, I, you got to make your own choice. Even, I mean, look at the recommendations for prevention. Five ounces of wine a day is recommended standard. How, when's the last time you saw a five ounce pour of wine? No, if, well, maybe at a restaurant who doesn't want to give you very much, but at home you, you pour eight ounces ish. I mean, I do, I pour, I don't want to have to get up again. If I'm going to have a glass of wine, I want a healthy glass of wine, but also like a beer is 12 ounces in a can. And at a restaurant, they're often 12 or 16 or even more. So our society here, especially in the U S is not conducive to any kind of healthy eating habits. You really have to make a concerted effort to watch what you are doing and what you're putting into your body. That's right. Because if you're pouring a glass of wine now, which the glasses are like fish bowls, that's two drinks easily. Mm -hmm. Now, here's the thing. Are you having, you know, think about frequency and volume. If someone's having a drink every single day, it may be more prudent to really pay attention to what five ounces looks like if they're trying to stay within that guideline. If they say, I'm not going to give up my drink a day, but I want to have what's recommended in terms of the amount then measure out five ounces, find a glass that that looks comfortable in, <laughs> like it's a little drop at the bottom, get a smaller glass, put mm -hmm. your five ounces of wine in that and savor it if you want it daily. If you decide, I just like wine once in a while or whatever your drink of choice is, if I just like it on occasion, like a special occasion or like a holiday, that's a different story. That's a pattern that is a lower intake overall, right? Maybe your idea of once in a while is every weekend and you kind of go crazy on the weekends. Well, that if you tease that out over the week, that might translate to a daily drink or two. Sure. So you've got to look at your own habits, like do a review of not like, well, I try to have it only once in a while. Trying to have actually having it are different things. So really you'll know, pick it for a week if you're not sure how much you're having. And then say, Ask yourself, does that make me feel good about what I'm doing? Do I feel comfortable? Do I have, you know, mm -hmm. or is it, a, is there like a disconnect between what I want to do and what I'm doing and then make a decision from there. So you don't have to quit drinking. It's the choice is entirely up to you, but that can be hard for some people to make that decision, but you know. Well, especially after coming off the last two years, I've actually had multiple friends who I've spoken with recently who actually say they've, they've taken a break from drinking because they were drinking every day during the, the time that we've all been home because of the stress of the stress of everything we've gone through due to the, the pandemic and being at home with our families all the time, who we love, but we still want to have that glass of wine every night. And they're like, okay, I, it's been too much. And so they're having to reevaluate the, the frequency of it and just decide, okay, like I'm going to stop for a while and see how I feel. And round the, round the board, they all feel better. And yeah. Well, and because one thing I, I know, and that's what I wanted to ask about too, is alcohol and weight gain, because it's, we don't, we don't think about it as calories. It's a drink. It's fun. It's something, you know, that we enjoy going into our body, but it can definitely, I know cause weight gain, which is a problem, especially for those of us after a hormone um, driven cancer diagnosis. Okay. You bring up so many good points. Let me just briefly touch on COVID alcohol consumption during COVID 
skyrocketed. I don't mm-hmm. know if you've seen the stats, but absolutely right away. And I love how you said, you know, so many people start drinking more because of the stress of COVID. You don't drink because of the stress. You drink to avoid the stress or manage the stress. Yes. So there are other ways to manage stress that don't have to be alcohol. Mm-hmm. So that's just a little takeaway to think. Just to ponder. Just ponder. Mm-hmm. Alcohol, it's an excuse to have more alcohol. It's stressful. I need a drink. Maybe you need a walk. Anyway, so just think about that. But as far as weight gain, so weight gain after treatment happens for a number of reasons, including <laughs> stress and comfort eating. Yes. Emotional eating. Yes. Eating when you're not hungry. Yes. Eating portions that are way too much for you because you felt full half a plate ago, but you just keep eating because you're not paying attention. Well, and I actually, sorry, I want to jump in real quick here. We were talking about pouring your wine in a smaller glass, and it made me think of putting your food on a smaller plate because I think myself included, we have issues from childhood where you were given a full plate of food and expected to finish your full plate of food before you're done. And so now it's, I, you know, I tend to overfill my plate and then finish my food and not even know if I'm still hungry or not, but I'm eating because I want to clean my plate. That's another great topic because plates used to be nine inches in diameter. Now they're 12. So it's Mm -hmm. also just people are served portions that are appropriate for a small family of, you know, four, Yes, not one person, but anyway, so all of those eating to your point. Yes. I agree with you a thousand percent. Also um, decreased levels of activity. Maybe you mm-hmm. don't feel energized to do exercise. Maybe you're having some side effects of neuropathy. So decreased levels of activity, which make you just more inactive, as well as the side effects of treatment, meaning hormonal changes, medications, treatment itself like steroids. So you notice I put that last because mm-hmm. what I find is, you know, anyone can lose the weight. It doesn't mean it's easy, but um, there is an impact there. So alcohol is a source of empty calories and it may encourage behaviors that could contribute to weight gain, meaning Hangover foods. What do you eat when you're not feeling so great after you had a glass or two of wine too many? You Greasy want French food fries and French fries. And grilled cheese. Yeah, you mm-hmm. don't want carrots and an apple. Um, eating more or differently when you're tipsy. Oh, I'm feeling a little loopy. Let's order pizza. Mm-hmm. Taco and Bell at two in the morning. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So if you think about it again, collectively, it's not that alcohol is directly responsible. It's the impact. Perfect. Well, we do have more to talk about, but we are going to take another short break. So listeners, if you would like to be my guest or submit a warrior story to be read on the show, please email me at michellebeck at breastfriends.org. Stay with us. We'll be back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to continue our mission that no woman goes through cancer alone and to keep the show going. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can text BF Radio to 41444 or visit us at breastfriends.org to donate. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon or follow us on Instagram at Breast Friends PDX. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern Time for Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are tuned in to Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. To reach the program today, please call us at 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Michelle Beck at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show. Thanks for staying with us. I'm Michelle Beck and my guest is Kathy Lehman. And we've been talking about alcohol and cancer and the do's and the don'ts. So Kathy, one thing I do want to talk about you, myself and you also have had hormone driven breast cancer, and we are really told to not introduce estrogen into our bodies because the cancer fed on that. For me, I even had my ovaries removed. I'm, I can't take anything to help with menopause symptoms other than natural things that don't have or contain estrogen. So can alcohol have anything to do with changing our estrogen levels? Yes. So alcohol raises the circulating level of estrogen in your body, but it doesn't change the estrogen. I've, I've seen that floating around online too, where women will say, oh, don't drink because it changes the estrogen in your body. It doesn't change it. It elevates the circulating levels. So, um, so if I have a low like I, I take the aromatase inhibitors to not have testosterone turn into estrogen. I don't have ovaries anymore. So presumably I have a fairly low level of estrogen and, but whatever that is, the al- alcohol consumption will help that move around the body more. No, it can raise the amount. Okay. Raise circuit. So circulating means circulating through your body. Yes. Mm-hmm. That, so to moving around your body, but it raises the amount of estrogen in your body. Now, how, I mean, that sounds very alarming to say that when someone hears that, I can mm-hmm. hear the response. Oh my God, my estrogen is, is so high now because I'm drinking alcohol. That's a, that's a black and white way of looking at it. It doesn't necessarily work that way. It's okay. something to consider. What's the impact of alcohol on my overall health as a breast cancer survivor who's had hormone driven? It can increase the level, the amount of estrogen in your body, but we're not at zero estrogen anyway. Mm-hmm. We're never at zero estrogen. I mean, we're re- reduced levels of estrogen because of our medications and to your point, having hysterectomy and such, but body fat contains, fat cells contain estrogen, you know, contribute to raising estrogen and we still produce a tiny amount. So the goal is to keep it low. And so anything that could contribute to raising it, alcohol being one of those things that can help factor into how often and how much or if you want to include it in your diet. And there's no test for that. I mean, you can't okay. go to the doctor and say, I've been drinking. We've checked how it's impacted my estrogen level. I, you know. Maybe. I just had a girl's weekend and I need some help. There you <laughs> Can go. You test check it? my blood. Maybe <laughs> that should be an, something we could create an in-home check your estrogen level from alcohol drinking test kit. And then you'd be like, oh my, I need to dial it back a little bit. We'd probably make a lot of money on that. Trademark. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, one of the questions I had here was, you know, we talked about guidelines already, how much, how much can I drink? And it's, I think was really about 
doing a mental assessment of overall what you are comfortable with knowing the facts. Is that, would that be a correct way to state that? I couldn't have said it better because you've got to make the choice that works for you. Knowing, I always say, let me give you the facts. You weigh them, let them rumble around in your brain a little bit. See how that feels to you to, you know, implement the guidelines as stated, or do you want to make up your own version? There's no right or wrong way to do it. It's what's comfortable for you. And so we know, again, that there's no level of alcohol that's considered safe for an initial diagnosis. So that's pretty clear. Mm -hmm. However, we also know people who drink their entire life and never have any type of cancer. That's just, that's the paradox of health, right? Of human beings, being humans and eating and drinking food. So, um, or eating food and drinking alcohol. So you've got to make your own decision. For me, for me, I still enjoyed my wine through my treatment and then after treatment. And then I would say, I don't even remember the exact day, but there was a day when I just kept reading the research and I'm like, I'm just not comfortable with this. Mm-hmm. I love red wine, but I hate breast cancer more than I love red wine. So I just stopped drinking. Mm-hmm. I don't miss it. I don't crave. I mean, I just, if I wanted some, I would have it. It would probably make me feel horrible in about 20 seconds. But I, plus I'm postmenopausal. As we get older, mm-hmm. we have a, an enzyme called alcohol dehydrogenase. And as we age, we produce less of it. So we don't break down a metabolite to metabolize alcohol as efficiently. That's why you can have a little bitty glass of wine when it's at older women mm-hmm. and we wake up and go, I feel like I should have been dancing on the bar all night because I feel yes. horrible. It and really is. Anything. It's why. like every 10 years, it gets a lot worse. Like, yes. you know, it's I, on a rare occasion, if I do have like two glasses of wine, especially red, I feel awful. And I honestly have kind of given up wine because the moment I have it, my hot flashes flare up. There you it's go. literally yeah. instantaneous. And I've, it makes me so sad because I, I did love a nice glass of red wine. It just makes, and, but you know, it's, it's, it makes me uncomfortable and I do, I feel like crap the next day and I don't have time to feel like crap anymore. Like it's, it's not worth it. That's what I was going to say. Is it worth it to you? I mean, I have been on nutrition educational trips to the Bordeaux region of France that were built around studying the French paradox and drinking French wine, heaven. But can I still go there and get the knowledge I need as a dietitian, enjoy the French countryside and not drink wine and feel like I'm doing some good things for my boobs? Yes, Mm -hmm. I can. So that's just a decision you've got to make that you feel comfortable. I've seen some women say, I am not giving up my alcohol because life is too short. God bless you drink mm-hmm. your alcohol. It's there's no right or wrong way. And there should be no shame around it. No alcohol shaming to anyone. It's what works for you is what's right for you. Now, does it matter the type of alcohol? Uh, there's the giant stereotype that women drink all the wine, but I know men who drink wine too, but you know, beer. And I, I do like a nice vodka cocktail. Does it matter what type of alcohol you're putting into your body? Or is it just the ethanol that's in there? That is the bottom line. Yeah. It's the ethanol. Now for other situations like heart disease, I actually saw some research that, you know, all the research tends to be talked about is that red wine is protective, but I've seen some research that says all alcohol essentially can be protective for, have some benefits for heart health. I'm not, that's not my area of expertise, but I found that interesting in my research for this. Um, You know, when I talk about alcohol with my clients, but 
Um, but no, it's all alcohol, all alcohol contains the ethanol. So if, and, and we talked, there's even the small amounts of ethanol in the, the non-alcoholic beer or wine. So even that could be a little suspect if you're really trying to not put any of these bad things in your body, correct? I, yeah. I don't know how much of an impact that would have. I mean, a okay. non-alcoholic beer is like 0.001% or something. And it's very low. I, crazily enough, I can feel it. If I drink a large non-alcoholic beer, I can feel the alcohol just because I drink nothing. Because I split right. one with my husband. Because I'm like, mm-hmm. we split a non-alcoholic beer with me. It makes me tipsy, <laughs> which is so pathetic. But okay. Um, but it just underscores there's still a little bit in there. But that's, you know, that's, I, I can't even imagine that that would have an impact. I mean, it's so small. Well, too, one thing to also think about, if you go out to dinner and you're not drinking alcohol, your bill is going to be a lot cheaper. Can you... The money we save, not buying cases of wine or drinking when we go out, I'm going to buy a new, I don't know, coat or something. I mean, it really, it really does make a big difference. It's my husband and I, when um, we met at work and so then we were living together, we would come home at night, every night and have a bottle of wine for for years. Wow. That's impressive. I can't do that. Well, that was, I was in my late thirties. This was a while ago. So, and it was, you know, just washing off the day with a bottle of wine. And then we had our son. And so that stopped. And then after I was diagnosed, like it really, it just stopped. And then the medication and, you know, really for us, drinking is a social thing. And like, we're going camping this weekend and, you know, I will probably have a couple cocktails or whatever, but it's, that's what I'm comfortable with at this point. So it really is, I think, you know, what I said earlier about just finding, knowing the facts, finding what you are comfortable with. Yes, absolutely. And I love how you describe that, you know, transition from having it at the end of the day and then, you know, tapering with your son being all of that. But, you know, and I, I remind my clients, you know, who say, well, I can't imagine giving up my alcohol. I have it at the end of my day to relax. And, and I share it with my husband or my significant other or, what, or my friends. And I remind them what you're celebrating is the end of the day getting through it intact and being with people you love. Mm-hmm. That's going to happen regardless of whether there's alcohol involved or not. We, it's a marketing message oh. that we mm-hmm. have bought into. You need yep. alcohol to relax. It gets even better if you pour a glass of wine. There's nothing wrong with enjoying wine. I'm not saying that at all, but just think about, you know, what are you really trying to accomplish? You know, and, and can you accomplish the same outcome that feels good to you? without the alcohol, because maybe you introduce the alcohol or keep the alcohol, but there's that little niggling guilt in the back, like, oh, all right, I'm having it, but I really shouldn't. That's, that's not okay either. So either own it, the decision to include it in your life in a way that you feel good about, or cut it out and recognize that, you know, your life is rich, regardless of whether there's alcohol or not. I don't know if yeah. that makes sense, but it's oh, kind of a- 100%. And I, I do feel like the transition of, okay, having to take care of my son, much more important than a bottle of wine or a glass of wine even. And, and it, now it's like, I just don't need it. You know, there's, there's been times when I've had people over and we open a bottle of wine and then it sits literally on my counter for a couple of weeks. I'm like, oh, I should throw that away because I'm not going to drink it. I just, I don't, I don't reach for it. It's just been a change in how we live our lives. Yeah. Yeah. And you probably don't miss it having it the way you used to is what I'm hearing you say. So Mm -hmm. it's just, I think it's good just to, again, we don't have to do black or white approaches to our nutritional health. 
that's what women I find they want. They're like, tell me what to do. Should I do this or should I do that? I can't tell you. You've got to decide because there's more than one way to approach it. Mm-hmm. Right? So that was one of the challenges for me when I was actually had both my cancer diagnosis that I was, I was very fortunate. They were both caught very early. And so I had choices and I didn't want choices. I wanted someone to tell me what to do. Yeah. And that is something that I still struggle with in terms of my, my eating. I still, even you and I've talked so many times and I know the things I should do, but that's something that I still struggle with. So you give me the research, you say this and this and this, and I'm like, oh, but that's, that one's still really hard. That's the hardest thing for me post treatment is m- my food intake. I'm not going to yeah. lie. Mm-hmm. Well, and to, and very quickly, cause I didn't want to leave time for us to wrap up with everything, but to yeah. your point about, tell me what to do, tell me what to eat. You know, I can create as a dietitian a beautiful meal plan for someone eat this every day for breakfast, eat this for lunch. And they will do that until they have a day where they aren't in the mood for that. Or they feel like they had a crappy day and need to solve the problem with, you know, a drive-through fix or something. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't matter what people tell you. You're not going to do it anyway if you're not in the mood. So why, you know, let's figure out how to put food into your life in a way that feels good to you and makes your body feel great and ticks off all the boxes for, I am supporting a reduced risk of recurrence as best I can, knowing that there's no one food or pattern that's even going to do that at this point that we know of but it can help you stay healthier overall. So, yeah. And my guess would be, that would be your biggest takeaway from this show. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I love that. Thank you. We are almost out of time. So I want to reiterate again for our listeners where they can find you and all of your information. Yeah. Thank you. So um, I have a website. It's kathyleeman.com. It's Kathy with a C. There's no H in Lehman. It's C-A-T-H-Y-L-E-M-A-N.com. And for all your listeners, um, I have created a little special link for them to go to, to get on the waiting list for my new program that's going to be launching soon. Depending on when someone listens to this, it may have already have launched, but Mm -hmm. um, it's called the Peaceful Plate Program. And in the Peaceful Plate Program, I'm teaching my Peaceful Plate Method, which is really geared toward helping post-treatment survivors eat with peace, not panic because I've spent the last year really working with women who have just informed my suspicion that this is a a serious problem and it doesn't have to be. So Mm -hmm. that link for anyone interested in getting on on the waiting list is Mm -hmm. kathyleeman.com forward slash peaceful plate program. Got it. And I'm on Instagram at hormone.breastcancer.dietitian. I'm known as the hormone breast cancer dietitian and creating this peaceful plate program is really, it's just sort of a culmination of me as a survivor, mm-hmm. understanding what helps me manage the food and alcohol situation. Cause I always say to my clients and women who follow me, I'm you, you know, so what mm-hmm. I'm going to do is going to be, you better be sure it's safe because I, I'm trying to avoid the same thing you are. Um, but it also is informed by my, you know, my professional expertise as a dietitian. So I'm very excited. It's going to be launching soon. And awesome. I can't um, wait to check it out. Yeah. I, thank you for letting me share that. I'm really excited about it. Perfect. Well, Kathy, thank you again. We are out of time, but the listeners, we will definitely have Kathy back because she's just a fountain of useful information. So 
Thank you. So listeners, again, if you need our services, please go to breastfriends.org to see what we can do for you or a loved one. You can make a donation on our website or by texting BF radio to 41444. You can find our show on the voice America health and wellness channel or wherever you get your podcasts. And you can also watch all of the 2022 episodes on the breast friends YouTube channel. If you would like to be my guest, email me at Michelle Beck at breastfriends.org. We'll be back next week. And until then, remember, we rise by lifting each other. Thank you for listening to Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. Please join Michelle Beck again next Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We rise by lifting each other. again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the voice america health and wellness channel for more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest please visit voiceamericahealth.com the voice america talk radio network is the worldwide leader in live internet talk radio visit voiceamerica.com the views and ideas expressed on the preceding